Hello and welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I am Beth Shank, long-term host of the podcast, though right now we are recording a series highlighting fellows in the Environmental Health Research Institute for Nurse and Clinician Scientists, interviewed by Dr. Heidi Honegger-Rogers and Dr. Heidi Segan. Today they interview Dr. Jean Bernhardt and Dr. Sarah Valentine. Dr. Honegger-Rogers will introduce the guests and then launch into the discussion. Enjoy. Sarah Valentine is the Arthur Imperator Community Fellow and Assistant Professor at SUNY Empire University. She is a 2023 trainee in the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, Environmental Health Research Institute. Her research interests include environmental justice, environmental health, community benefit policy, nursing environmental domains, nursing philosophy, and nursing education. Jean Bernhardt, uh, or Jeannie, is a family nurse practitioner and nurse executive who practices leadership in occupational health and community health settings. She has responded to disasters around the world. She is currently the Director of Occupation Health Enterprise Clinical Services at Mass General Brigham in Boston. She has published in the areas of nursing management, addictions, nursing, and climate change. Jeannie has presented her research on nurse-sensitive indicators in the care of patients with opiate use disorder nationally and has presented her leadership research internationally. She was selected as a 2023 Fellow of the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, Environmental Health Research Institute for Nurse and Clinician Scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is the podcast of the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments. My name is Heidi Segan, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Heidi Honegger-Rogers. And today, we are so excited to have two amazing guests with us today. We have Jeannie Bernhardt and Sarah Valentine. So to go ahead and get us started, um, let's start with Jeannie. Jeannie, can you just give us a brief introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, nice to see you all. Happy to be here. Uh, I am uh, Jeannie Bernhardt. I am an associate press professor at the MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. I serve on the steering committee there for the Climate Change, Climate Justice and Health Center. Uh, and I have a particular interest in heat-related illness. Fantastic. Thanks, Jeannie. Um, Sarah? Oh, I'm so pleased to be here today. And so... Um, Grateful that this podcast is happening. Um, so my name is uh, Sarah Valentine. I am an assistant professor at Empire University, which is part of the State University of New York system. Um, I also this year am an Imperator, Arthur Imperator Community Forum Fellow at SUNY Empire. And um, part of that fellowship involves work on um, research on hospital engagement with environmental pollution. 
So fantastic to have the two of you here. And um, and we were, the, the four of us, we were all together in the Environmental Health Research Institute 2023-2024 uh, cohort. We all got an opportunity to meet each other um, in Atlanta at Emory University this summer. And we are so excited to catch back up and hear about the projects that you all are working on through the ARI Institute and, um, and anything else that you're working on as environmental health nurses and champions for, um, for this work out in the world. So I wanna first ask you, Sarah, what is the, what's the project that you're working on that you've been doing through the, um, through the ARI Institute? Great, so to explain that, I'd like to give a little background on my previous research. So in my most recent research, I examined New York State Hospital community benefit practices, community benefit being the requirement for nonprofit hospitals to assess community health needs and respond to those needs. What I found in my um, randomized sample um, in New York State, which ended up representing about one third of New York State hospitals, I found that 60.4% of hospitals, a confidence interval of 0.46 to 0.74 at 95%, had some element of assessment of environmental pollution in their community health needs assessments. 18.9% at a 95% confidence interval of 0.09 to 0.32 identified a form of environmental pollution as one of their priority substantial community health needs. Uh, to give you a sense of what this means, there normally are anecdotally between four to six substantial community health needs identified in a community health needs report. So to me, this was a really outstanding finding. However, none of the hospitals in the sample went on to address that identified environmental health need in the community. This leads me to my current research which is part of my Arthur Imperator Fellowship. And what I am doing with the Environmental Health Research Institute is really refining one element of this research. So that element is a community and hospital forum to explore ways for hospitals and communities to work together to address environmental pollution when present in the community as a warranted health need. What I'm coming to in my work with EHRI is developing the idea of a workshop model that mirrors the workshops that are conducted by the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine, so that community members and hospital leaders will serve as the experts in these workshops to develop a logic model for hospitals to address, or rather assess, evaluate the utility of intervention, and then potentially explore and take action on those identified environmental related health needs in communities. Sarah, that is so interesting. And I love this idea that you are working with communities and hospital entities to, to really, it sounds like hospitals have been looking at the environmental, some of the environmental determinants of health, but haven't really been able to do anything about it or educate the communities about it. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about how hospitals started getting involved in this work? It just seems really, it. I mean, it. I don't know. Maybe just from my perspective, it 
it seems unique to have hospitals interested in actually engaging in community conversations around prevention and education of the community. And, and is that is that unique? I think there are two things happening here. I think that hospital engagement with social determinants of health and environmental determinants writ large, if we're thinking of environment as the all that we are in and that impacts health, is not unusual. I think it's been a paradigm shift. Um, it's something that the American Hospital Association supports. And I think it very much aligns with um, community benefit regulations that were revised in 2010 and really fully implemented by 2013, that I, uh, as I described, requiring a community health needs assessment and response. So this movement to address social determinants of health, to act more in an upstream approach, to address the larger environment that determines health, that paradigm shift is happening. But what I see is that addressing environmental pollution or environment as the natural world affects health is on the far ends of that paradigm shift and hasn't yet been fully engaged. And then something I just want to clarify here is that I know there's has been and continues to be very important research in the field of addressing hospitals as polluters and nursing responsibility and nursing action and addressing hospitals as polluters. So my work is distinct from that focus. My work rather focuses on hospitals addressing any environmental pollution that is present in a community. It could be from transportation, it could be from a point source factory, et cetera. Thank you for clarifying that, all of the things that we are learning as we are walking through this podcast series. Sarah, can you talk about the community side of this? How how are communities getting engaged in these, these kinds of partnerships with, with the hospitals that you've been working with? That is an important question, and it's a question that I haven't yet answered for myself, and it's an area that I would like to help to move along. I'd like those types of partnerships to advance, and I hope that my work will be helpful in advancing that type of work. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, no, right? And to, to be determined, how do we partner across, you know, the healthcare systems sectors in all of the various myriad of ways? And how do we do this work in it, you know, with communities in in ways where communities can really inform health systems and health systems can really help communities around preventing health, um, adverse health outcomes from, for, in this case, environmental health determinants. I agree, Heidi. And I just want to add that I think that nursing has a very important role there. And nursing can take a role in making that bridge between communities and the potential work of hospitals in addressing environmental pollution in community benefit and in other ways, even outside of community benefit processes. So my hope is that this work will help to contribute towards pathways for nurses to continue to build the relationship between communities, community organizations, and hospital work to address social determinants of health in the community, specifically in my interest being addressing environmental pollution. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about the work that you're doing currently. Um, it, it's exciting and we'll, 
I, I know we're going to have a few more questions and we'll be talking about that, but I wanted to give the, the floor to Jeannie Bernhardt. Jeannie, uh, you are at the MGH in Boston and you are working on heat illness and are sitting in, in a program that's really doing a lot around climate change and health for helping to educate the next generation of nurses and nurse professionals around this. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I'm at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. We have the first uh, climate center in a school of nursing nationally, and we're really proud of that. Um, my particular interest, like I said, is in heat-related illness, and um, I have had this vision and found some like-minded people to um, really think about developing a screening tool that could be used by healthcare professionals, nurses, as well as uh, lay people uh, in communities to identify risk for people for heat-related illness, you know, particularly as we see these stretches and frequency of excess heat increasing um, globally, right? Not just domestically, but globally as well. So we uh, applied the uh, socio-ecological model framework that the CDC uses uh, to really think about how to address heat-related illness in the context of climate change and developed a tool that does address physical, social, and environmental factors in vulnerable populations. We did some feasibility testing early on in an urban community health center and um, uh, individuals were coming into our sites for a variety of visits. We also extended it through um, our academic partnership with a mobile va vaccine van and um, uh, had some good results. Since then, we've been working on the process of validating the tool through um, out, more outreach to a general uh, population and um, figuring out how to do that across social media. Uh, and one of the things that you see in the literature is everything and nothing is connected to heat-related illnesses, right? Individuals who um, suffer from heat intolerance or varying degrees of heat-related illness, right, uh, could end up in an emergency room, whatever uh, condition is exacerbated or flies up, that's what the info is about. It doesn't really get pulled back to think about uh, what was the precursor, how did heat influence that. Uh, and we were just not finding that we were able to get to uh, risk assessment screening and the information we wanted through existing uh, data. So we're also conducting some scoping reviews to really kind of pull out what are those social determinants of health. And this is where the social ecological model that the CDC uses really ties in nicely with that. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the big news right now is that we are um, working with our academic partnerships to instruct students. We're developing some case studies that um, we're hoping to make available through publications that uh, healthcare professionals, nurses, clinicians, lay people can um, use so that we, uh, as we're validating the tool, the, the utility of it can be available now um, as we kind of continue that progression of um, figuring out what, what really works. Um, but it's really just gotta get out there, right? There's more, there's more and more heat intolerance. Uh, and uh, so I think that, you know, it is it is ripe for a conversation and concern right now. 
Thank you, Jeannie, for talking um, to us about your work. I have so many questions for you, especially about your center. I am so excited to hear that you have the first climate center in a college of nursing, and I'm jealous because I wish that I, that I could say the same thing. Um, but before we talk about that, can you walk us back a few steps and tell us, so what is heat illness? What does that look like in an individual or a population um, or heat intolerance? How, how does that manifest? Um, and again, individuals or populations and who's most at risk? Yeah. So um, heat related illness is this spectrum of uh, conditions that impact people because they are experiencing um, internal hyperthermia, increasing increased core temperature that they cannot thermoregulate, right? That they can't manage. So heat intolerance um, in and of itself is really the beginnings of um, feeling overheated, right? Some mild sweating, maybe a sense of thirst, maybe a sense of, of faintness. Uh, and then, you know, progresses generally with um, increased exposure to the heat, rapidly rising temperatures or increased physical exertion uh, to the point of heat cramps, right? We often see this in uh, athletes. Uh, and then progressing to heat exhaustion, where now we have um, extreme sweating, a rapid heart rate, uh, and really starting to put people into kind of this critical health condition. Um, and the worst one being heat stroke, right? Where their system shut down because they can no longer even attempt to thermoregulate or respond anymore. So the term heat intolerance is often used really uh, uh, across all spectrums of heat-related illness. Uh, but for our purposes, we're using it those really early stages when people start saying, like, I'm feeling hot, right? Like, I, I need to get out of here. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this isn't working for me. I need water. I need to sit down. Um, and really starting to identify things there. The populations at risk are the ones that we're concerned about with so many things, right? Um, infants, uh, Again, people working or extended time outdoors, so outdoor workers, agricultural workers, farm workers, kitchen workers have a huge increase of um, excess heat. Uh, and then uh, pregnant women, because of the uh, uh, body mass issues and the ability to sweat and the needs for fluids for the fetus, um, and the elderly, right, or our older people as well. So, um, and it, like everywhere we look, there is potentially a vulnerable population or individual amongst us as either ambient heat uh, increases or there's excess heat that just hits us in an extreme way. Thank you for explaining that. Um, now, I, I'm curious to learn more about your center. Um, and I, first, tell us exactly what the name of it is, because I think I heard climate justice somewhere in that name, which excites me. So tell us about your center. Tell us about the work that the center is doing. And if you have some background on how it came to be, I would also love to hear that. Yeah. So the um, MGH Institute of Health Professions School of Nursing, uh, Climate Change, Climate Justice and Health Center uh, came to be because there was a particular faculty who had an interest in uh, climate change very, very early on and started to uh, think about uh, the issues related to educating the future uh, healthcare professionals around uh, climate change. 
since then has worked really, really hard to um, expand that vision to uh, beyond education, to scholarship and social justice, and really thinking about what are all the um, issues that rise up that are health consequences of climate change. And so we've spent a good amount of time really, um, and I'll just use the term, educating ourselves and others around what climate change is and how that uh, links to or how it affects health. Uh, and that's really the first piece of things is people understanding that. Um, uh, yes, we talk about um, uh, you know all the, the, the big issues related to fossil fuels and greenhouse gases, uh, but as nurses and healthcare professionals, right, it comes down to where the rubber meets the road here and helping uh, people live um, in this climate changing world through um, mitigating their risks, adapting, um, or just figuring out kind of where the opportunities for, for uh, resilience are. Thank you, Jeannie. Yes, it's, you know, as nurses, I we think about that patient, that human experience and that interaction that our patients have with their environment. And so I love to hear you talking about, you know, where the rubber meets the road. What do we do about this? What, how do we talk to our patients about that? So I, I appreciate your comments there. Um, and along those same lines, Sarah, you've been doing work in the state of New York. So can you talk to us a little bit about the different types of environmental pollution or environmental concerns um, that are specific to the state or to the populations that you're, um, you know, the communities that you're hoping to work with? So many of the environmental risks that are present in New York state are present nationwide. And certainly one of those risks that really stands out is air pollution, a present risk in New York state, in the United States and in the world. And there was growing literature on the extensive impact of air pollution and the proportionate responsibility of air pollution for morbidity and mortality. One of the primary elements of air pollution that is responsible for higher risk of morbidity and mortality is particulate matter fine particulate matter, meaning 2.5 micrograms per cubic meter or less. Much of our literature is um, comes from the time before the wildfire smokes that we experienced this summer. So there's really two ways of looking at this. You know, One is the particulate matter exposure as well as other uh, air pollutant exposure from point sources, from transportation sources, that, et cetera, that type of pollution. And then the others from wildfire smoke, which is of course related to climate change. Of course, we see the circle, the, the air pollution itself, other types also related as a causative factor in climate change. So both of those um, need to be uh, in front of us and on our radar in terms of um, when we're assessing environmental threats. I think then that there's a great variation locally in other types of environmental pollution Threats. So, for example, um, near to me in where I live in upstate New York, uh, there's PFAS or PFOA contamination, um, which some people know as forever chemicals because the chemical bond is so tight, it's difficult to break, which makes it a very slippery chemical. So it was used in Teflon, it was used in firefighting foams um, because of, its, of that quality of the chemical. However, it also makes it 
very difficult to uh, degrade and stays present in the environment. And because of essentially of its slipperiness, it also spreads very easily in the environment through water tables uh, across land geographically. It's been associated with many, statistically significantly associated with many health problems, including higher cancer risk and lowered immunity. So that is just one example, but there also are many other types of local chemical exposures in communities across the state. That is so fascinating, Sarah. Thank you so much for explaining that. And there are a few things that I didn't actually know about PFAS when in in the in the narrative that you just gave us. I am wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what the health impacts from air pollution are at, you know, since your hospital systems and the communities are looking at these health impacts and these determinants of health, can you can you talk to us a little bit more about what you're looking at and what the health impacts are that you're concerned about? Absolutely. And one thing also that I'd like to point out here is not only the overall impact of pollution on health, but also the disparities by economic status and by race um, in exposure, both levels of exposure and also the amount of impact felt from experiencing exposure. So in data from pre-COVID pandemic findings, um, it was found that air pollution, um, particularly um, fine particulate matter and ozone, is linked to substantial all-cause mortality. Um, this is a study of the Medicare population, including actually most of the Medicare population, so extremely large uh, sample, and that there was disparate increased mortality for Black Americans. I think it's really important to point out that these findings have been found true even at levels that are below currently designated EPA safety standards for uh, air pollution, for fine particulate matter. And in fact, there is a linear relationship that extends below um, that safe level for exposure to fine particulate matter and in increased mortality. Uh, air pollution has also been associated with increased severity of COVID-19. Um, it has been associated with uh, preterm birth and low birth weight um, and with uh, maternal child morbidity. There's also some newer literature emerging on association of uh, fine particulate matter with mental health outcomes. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing that information with us. I think it really highlights the importance of the work that you and all of our colleagues are doing in this space. And um, and I guess that brings me to my my next question for, for Jeannie. I want to know, how did you come into this work? How did you become involved with environmental health and, and climate change work? So I'm a family nurse practitioner, and early on in my career, uh, I spent a good time working in uh, home care, and I'd be in a lot of people's homes, right, where the internal temperature was pretty high. Uh, if they had an air conditioner, very often they weren't using it, either because they had a perception of being cold and they didn't need it, uh, or because of the cost. And then, you know, I'd hear that my patients ended up in the emergency room over the weekend or a holiday. And when I follow up on it, there was 
really nothing that matched what happened in the emergency room and those notes to what the patients were telling me um, they experienced and how they felt. Um, so I sat with that a really long time. And I think as uh, we've seen uh, and kind of these increasing um, uh, heat waves, uh, particularly where I am in the Northeast, right, which are combined with humidity and make them um, pretty uncomfortable for us. Many of my neighbors and colleagues, you know, around me are complaining about heat, right? They are not comfortable. They don't know what to do about it. And so it just started to resonate with me that this is not a problem necessarily of healthcare professionals, right? It's a societal lay person's issue as well. Uh, we as nurses uh, can do something about it because again, being the largest profession, uh, everywhere you look, uh, somewhere in a community, there is a nurse who is in the position to share information and help people get through the day, figure out what that is. So that perspective has always been important to me. Um, when my colleague Patrice Nicholas, who had been accepted as inaugural climate change and health scholar at NIH, really uh, started uh, uh, promoting the our climate center, uh, I thought like, this is something that I'm interested in. And my idea is pretty basic, but it was very interesting how others kind of jumped on it as well. So um, I remain really uh, interested in this. I think, you know, you think about things as basic as people like there's a heat wave and if they get the notion that they've got to hydrate, things as simple as what are they hydrating with, right? Like energy drinks, um, alcohol on the beach, right? Isn't helping the situation or alcohol outdoors on their stoop because it's too hot indoors and now everybody's outdoors, right? Uh, those types of things seem like pretty basic public health um, interventions that we can be helping with. And in the meantime, really identifying those who are most at risk. You know, that's so fantastic. Thank you for Thank you for sharing your story as a family nurse practitioner and what you were noticing early on in your career with families that you were visiting with. And I often, and I loved that you brought in that nursing is the largest health profession globally with almost 28 million of us, which I always think about how amazing it is because we are actually all sort of loosely connected through our nursing associations, how we can make a really big impact in health out on the planet um, because we are connected and because we are in nursing and we are making these connections across hospitals with communities, individually with patients and through public health systems. So unbelievable, Jeannie. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your seed story there. And um, I just wanted to um, shift to you, Sarah, and just ask you how the same question, how did you get interested in this in nursing? And yeah, just share, share with the community your story. Thank you, Heidi. I listened to the podcast where both you, Heidi Rogers and Heidi Sigmund um, presented. Um, and one of the things, Heidi Rogers, that you spoke about were your heartbreaks. And I kind of saw that also as points of critical insight. So for me, one of those points of critical insight was early in, in my life, um, just after college, but before I entered the profession of nursing, 
I worked as an intern with an organization called Women's Environment and Development Organization. I went into that work with a concern for global social justice and environmentalism. And I worked on a conference that was preparatory to a UN conference on environment and development. And this preparatory conference drew women from around the world to testify and to come up with a women's statement to bring to that larger UN conference. And what I heard again and again in these rooms of women from around the world testifying was the connection of environmental degradation in their communities to health impact. So that really led me to nursing along with conversations with other nurses in my life and other nurses I was introduced with too. And I was so inspired at that point by nursing values of caring for the whole person, caring for the environment of justice, of being deeply rooted in caring approach to human beings and to healthcare. So the, another point that really stands out for me as a heartbreak or a critical insight comes later in my life when I was teaching a health policy course at William, Pattern University, William Patterson University in New Jersey. And I was teaching master's level students who have nursing experience. And one theme that kept coming up in our classes was that nurses were telling me we believe in these domains of nursing. We believe that we as nurses have a commitment to the environment, to the whole environment, but this is not in our work on a day-to-day -day basis. It's our profession, but it's not our job description. So I really bring those two critical insights together as what I hope will guide me in my work. Um, the great impact of health on health of environmental degradation and the potential for nurses to more fully actualize our environmental domain, specifically around addressing environmental pollution. I just have to say amen. Yeah, right on. The, uh, yeah, you know, I was just about to ask you the question about, tell me about the future of nursing. Um, you know, thinking about how do we, as you know, here we are, all four of us, um, with the honor and privilege of working with uh, with students, the next generation of nursing leaders at our universities, right? How, um, Sarah, for you and Jeannie, I'm going to ask you the same question in a sec. How how do you see this role, nursing faculty role, right, in helping students move into this work, um, and also uh, honestly, it's not just our students, right? It's our friends. It's the other health professionals that that we get to work with. How do you see us being able to facilitate that reinterpretation that you're talking about of job descriptions, right? Into, you know, sort of the whole scope and practice of of nursing and public health nursing and community engaged nursing. Um, Tell me what you think. So I have two different things to say about this. One is some ideas about specific places or ways to approach this work. So looking for opportunities as a nurse to make changes in environmental health. Some options might include working with nursing organizations on a state or a federal level, both in work that's already begun to address issues of environmental pollution, also in helping to change or influence the priorities of nursing organizations to include environmental pollution or environmental health as part of the priorities of the work 
of those organizations. My work is very much centered in community benefit. So I think that is an important location for nurses to realize that hospitals do have this charge to assess and respond to community health needs and to see that as a vehicle for direct nursing work as well as partnership with communities. I think to look to what's happening within communities to see what alliances might be made between nurses as individuals, nursing organizations, nurses as members of their places of work uh, to work with community organizations who are addressing environmental pollution. So those are some specific ideas and I really encourage nurses to look for more. And then the final thing that I want to say is kind of a larger idea was just to think about what it means to be a profession. And in a profession of nursing, we are then awarded the responsibility to define what our practice is in exchange for our responsibilities to society. I think that we as a profession have done a wonderful job in defining our responsibilities within education, um, within um, state practice and regulations, but we haven't entered the workplace to say, for example, addressing the environment is part of who I am, who we are as professionals, and this should be in our job description. So I really challenge us to think about bringing that idea of professional autonomy to all of our work and to actualize that in a way that it will allow us to more fully address environment as the whole, the upstream, the social and environmental determinants, and including specifically environmental health um, as affected by the natural world. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Beautifully said. I appreciate it. And and Jeannie, do you have what do you have to um to con you know to contribute and add to this conversation about what does the future look like that we're walking into in in nursing with our profession in this work? You know, I think there's a lot of work being done to figure out how to educate students, nursing students, healthcare students about climate change, right? There's this um, there's this, this big debate about whether it should be integrated into current curriculum, whether there should be a call out for it that it should be kind of a standalone courses. Um, I think we've got to figure that out and if it's a priority or not, right? Like we, many of us used to have public health courses, community health nursing courses, those are integrated into other things. We've lost some focus. We see how well that served us or didn't serve us during the recent pandemic. And so I think this is a time for us to kind of rethink those things. Um, in a really practical way, I think, you know, we educate students on all sorts of screening tools, right? Um, and I think this is an opportunity, at least as far as the um, heat-related illness screening tool that we term the HIST, uh, is an opportunity to teach students about that and integrate it into um practice settings, um, students expose clinicians when they ask questions, right? Clinicians learn from the students that they uh, precept and mentor. Uh, so I think that there are those opportunities there to just, you know, really in the, um, right at the ground level to continue to uh, bring this forward. I also think, right, like we've, we've got to bring current research to our students in a way that it's understandable, that it's applicable. Um, and I think that that is, it's still a challenge because the scholarship's not there, the research isn't 
there, right? I mean, I talked early on about how you make these linkages to health consequences um, to, you know, what we're doing. I mean, to, uh, from climate change to health consequences, right? I mean, that's difficult work and it's all not clear and clean right now, but I think that's the work we've got to do to really help students because that is where and how things are going to change. I mean, Sarah talked about paradigm shifts um, in different ways. Like This is where it comes from. You introduce new ideas and they take hold, right? And so I think that is the work that we've got to do. Um, and I think paying particular attention to public health, uh, the social justice, uh, health inequity issues uh, are, are really the ones that should be drivers, but we've got to put some real world work behind those. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jeannie. And so with both of you, I'd like to ask the question about your projects, your research trajectories, um, very specifically. So Sarah, just thinking about the future of the work that you're doing between hospitals and communities and identifying and then mitigating and, and doing health adaptation around the environmental determinants of health. How do you see the future of that work you know, the next five, 10, 15 years of your career. Thank you, Heidi. So my current focus, as I described, is working with hospitals and communities to more fully develop a logic model around hospital engagement of environmental pollution. Where I see this going next is the development of a model, um, preferably a nurse-led model, but a model that could be taken up by um, any health professional or even community member, but a model that really provides a structure to lead and guide hospitals and communities in both assessing and developing more sensitive assessment of the impact of environmental pollution on the health of populations within a community, and then developing a process of truly assessing utility of addressing that environmental pollution and how that utility compares to other use of hospital resources. And then if the decision is made that there would be utility in taking action in developing resources to guide creative strategies for uh, hospitals and communities to work together to address environmental pollution in communities. Yeah. I also would like to say in this work that if this sparks the interest of anyone listening, I'm very eager to engage in partnership. So please contact me. I'm at SUNY Empire University. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. I was just thinking uh, there's so much work that folks can do to translate what you're talking about doing into their own communities and not just in the US and North America, but really globally. So um, neat, neat work and very exciting. And and Jeannie, same question. Can you talk to us about the future of the work that you're doing, how you're seeing it? Yeah, so our um, continued hope and expectations are that we will um, have a fully developed tool that we'll be able to disseminate broadly. I'd love to see this in some type of public health campaign, really around screening and identifying risks. I mean, we know what the interventions are. It's really about that front end work um, we also know that, you know, air cooling is going to be uh, the way of solving this in the future. However, so many of our populations at risk are not going to have access to air cooling, whether it's air conditioners or cooling 
centers or even um, ventilation where we know there's a certain point, a certain temperature that ventilation doesn't even um, work is not effective. So I think we've got to figure out who's at risk so that we can really begin to prioritize how we are then able to use the resources that we have around air cooling, transportation to cooling centers, um, identifying those people that we have to do outreach to so that they are not alone and isolated and even more at risk. Um, so I think you know my big picture here is a publicly available tool that clinicians and lay people and community providers, community centers are using to reach out to their populations of interest so that we're not missing people um, as the kind of ongoing issues with excess heat and extreme heat uh, come our way. Yeah, fan fantastic and I agree. And I, and it does seem like work that nurses can, you know, take what you all are doing and apply it in their own, in their own communities and, and, of course, I love building out uh, the DNP project world around this, and 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 I've got so many ideas just from talking to you two about what doctorally prepared uh, APRNs can be doing, which is you know the work that I'm spending my time thinking about uh, right now. And uh, so, thanks to both of you and Heidi Segan. Thank you to you for the amazing work that you are continuing to do in this domain as well. Does anyone have any final um, last minute things that you wanna make sure that our Annie community uh, can hear from you or any um, anything about the Area Institute that you wanna share before we go? I would just uh, really encourage people to take a look uh, at our website at the MGH Institute of Health Professions School of Nursing, the Climate Change, Climate Health, uh, Climate Justice and Climate Health uh, Center, and um, use the resources that are there. Reach out to us if there's something that um, we can help you with as well or to explore more. I again want to express my appreciation for this podcast and um, the focus on this type of work. And I would just say to folks who are listening, if you have an interest in working on environmental health within nursing to not be daunted by the barriers that are present now, but really to look forward to an imagined future and set a commitment to making that transition from where we are now to a future that looks different, future that looks healthier for both human beings and the environment. Thank you both, Jeannie Bernhardt and Sarah Valentine, for joining me, Heidi Honiger Rogers, with my friend and colleague Heidi Segan for the Annie Podcast. Thank you to Dr. Bernhardt and Dr. Valentine for contributing this week. It was great to hear about their work and innovative ideas. I was interested in Dr. Bernhardt's work on nurse-sensitive indicators. I would like to discuss more of that with her related to nurse-sensitive environmental indicators at some point. And I was interested in Dr. Valentine's contributions to community benefit from the perspective of environmental determinants of health, a really important mechanism for hospitals to impact health in the communities. Thank you both, and thanks again to Dr. Hanaga Rogers and Dr. Segan for a fascinating interview. And thank you all for listening. As a reminder, the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast is 100% non-commercial. Please share it with your nursing colleagues, family, and friends. Thank you. Talk to you next time.